When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Wally Veezy and his wife, Pam. He is an engineer who has become a writer and producer, and he's releasing his very first film. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what made him start this passion project. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Courtney, for having us on. You're so welcome. So, yeah, maybe if you could give uh, the audience a little bit of a backstory. How did an engineer decide to get into the filmmaking business? Um, it's yeah, it, it starts with a kind of a, a call it a near death experience. You know, health of emergency in the family that changes. You know, changes it'll change everybody that has to go through that. And I've been a about a 33-year engineer, mechanical engineer, most of my, you know, the whole whole professional life. Technical writer, I, I've been presenting technical material throughout that career. So I knew how to write, at least forming sentences and, and so on. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, and so that was, I guess that was the one thing I could do is I could, I could communicate technically. But of course, writing a drama is about so much more it was the most challenging thing I ever tried to do, but um, it, without you know, back in 2013, my wife Pam right here, you know she she had a uh, at age 43. Yes, she had a she had a stroke that wasn't she wasn't expected to make it through. Uh, she had last rites read to her and and everything, and and um, through that process, she had a she had a blood clot. Went to her heart, jumped across the ventricle, went to her brain, lots, lots of surgeries. But everybody was telling, you know, they the doctor said just about everything, short of you best say your goodbyes now. But it was close. It was about that kind of feel. Um, and through that process, and thank God, obviously she's made it through and went through a lot of recovery and and a lot of rehab, and she continues to work on her rehab even today. But um, through that, you spend a lot of time in the hospital, a lot of time in chapels, a lot of time thinking, and a lot of time reading. Um, and um, I, uh, I felt compelled, you know, as I read these books, like I'm apt to do, I highlight a lot of things. I, I, I write notes, and uh, and I and I thought to myself as I was reading some of the engineering related books about does God exist or not? About is there scientific evidence mm-hmm. for? God's existence. And it's not a proof. It's always about what 
Do you believe in the natural theory or more of like it's intelligent design? So some of it is just doesn't necessarily get into the Christian God. It just gets into, is there a creator? Right. And so I read a lot about that. I read a lot about, and then I got moved into some of the Christian themes. But as I made all these notes, I thought to myself, why don't I try to capture all of these things I've read, put it into maybe a PowerPoint, like I do PowerPoints for my life. But <laughs> maybe, maybe, just maybe some high schools or retreats or something might want to see it. I had no great compulsion to get on a stage. I'm not very comfortable talking in front of groups in the entertainment industry. But I thought maybe I can capture all of this, all this that I had read and, and some of which I'd experienced. I, there were a couple, couple miracles that I think that I more than think I saw, I witnessed in the hospital and I could tie together a stream. I thought of a thought that got into the science and got into the supernatural. And, uh, as I started putting this into a PowerPoint, it became about 700 slides. And I knew that that, and I ran that by my kids at the time we were in in teenagers in high school. And they said, dad, you got some info there as they were falling asleep. (laughs) 700. Wow. (laughs) So I, I, uh, I, I then got the thought we, we had done a little bit of a, of a project involving a, uh, kind of like a Broadway show some years previous and uh i had sponsored it and you might say pro- executive produced it because i just paid for it but i brought it to a to a theater as a because it felt like the right thing to do it was like outsourcing and ev- evangelization i'm not a great evangelizer and i was outsourcing to a very talented group of singers and dancers who right. did a passion play passion through pentecost and then they had environmental projection behind it beautiful we loved it we got about 10 churches involved and made a lot of money for these 10 churches. I got $200,000 ticket sales and all that distributed to these churches. So it was my first little foray into entertainment and it was very hard. And I, but I, I learned through that process how much visual media, how much music and the eyes and things, how you, you can't reach the heart through technical arguments, you know, you need and, and film is by far the best way if you can pull it all together because you can tie together a story. It has to be a story. It can't just yeah. be a documentary. Mm-hmm. It can't be like a you documentaries can be powerful, but I, I agree with you. Oh, There's right. something about a creative artistic medium where uh, people respond viscerally and therefore they're impacted on a cellular level without having awareness necessarily they're not necessarily conscious or cognizant of how they've been moved and therefore their guard is down so they're not resisting Mm -hmm. the uh experience that they are having whereas when you have something that's intellectual you can rationalize against it if you if you're biased and cognitive dissonance will you know Mm -hmm. kick when that kicks in you can argue your way against something that you may actually be moved by, but you can. Th- there's a disconnect. So, yeah, art is very powerful in that regard. Right. You have to reach the heart before the head, right. because <laughs> the head can always. If you don't want to believe in something, it doesn't matter. You can have all the best arguments in the world. It it just won't <laughs> happen. Yeah, have to get. You have to at least want to believe it, right. and and how do you make somebody want to believe it if they kind of either don't believe in or worse, hate it because religion is something quite a few people hate. 
and blame for all the world's problems. Sure. So I had to try to come up with a with a I took some other slides and it went all generations and 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 then I got professional polish, thankfully, read some great books. And um like I'm apt to do I the one thing I'd say I I if I, if I, if I had any great skill and anyone else was gonna try to do this, be smart enough to know what you don't know. Mm. Humble, don't let the ego take charge. Bring in people that and tell them the punch holes in it left and right. And uh, and I had some very good screenwriters, people I some I paid and some did it for free, and uh, who helped me polish this into a legitimate, I hope legitimate, very legitimate, hard moving story um, that could reach the heart and then open the crack of hope that door open a little bit to then make an argument for the head. So it has it has two characters and and one of them comes about it through intellectual, the other one comes about it through suffering and uh, and shame. Which is how a lot of people learn, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So I think we saw that pretty recently, right? People, I think we're going to continue to see more of that. But yeah, unfortunately, sometimes people really need to be hurt in order to learn a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. You reach like like people who are fighting addictions. They reach that bottom and that and, and that suffering, and they can make that decision to go continue down if they if it's even possible, or you could turn it. And um, that's what I uh, tried to create, and it was against every kind of bone in my body to try to to uh, to do that. I didn't want to make a character merge on the or verge on the side of almost not wanting to go on anymore. And uh, I didn't. I don't think it gets too close to that edge. Okay. But that's drama is all about conflict, and you have to build in conflict to hold the audience's attention without making it fake or. Or, or stereotypical or, or condescending because um, this is targeted to young people, the Gen Z, and their antenna, as you know, is so sensitive to the BS meter, if you don't think. <laughs> sure, sure. So I'm curious, we can back up a little bit. What You said you read a lot of books that were like the, the scientific rationale for the existence of a creator. Yep. And were there any in particular that stood out for you that I, you know, um, the very first ones were the Lee Strobel books. If you know the Lee Strobel case for case for creator, case for Christ, case for faith. Mm -hmm. He was the journalist from the Chicago Tribune, I believe, who right. wrote the story about the exploding Pinto gas tanks in the 1970s. Uh, great, great movie too, uh, called uh, A Case for Christ. Uh, mm -hmm. That uh, I'd highly recommend. That's uh, so um, that got me going. Now I, I turned to I. I don't, uh, we would, I don't agree with him a hundred percent across the board, okay. but really ever do. Exactly. It got me just going to research on my own another direction. So I'd say the Lee Strobel books got me started. That was the very first time I, I realized that faith and reason don't have to be these separate compartments in your brain. Mm -hmm. Right. I thought that as an engineer, all the numbers and the science are here. Oh, and when you go to church, flip the switch, and now it's all about supernatural and you- mm -hmm completely and you might just say you're pretending to believe and going through the motions kind of a thing and i had to realize that it's it's not about i think it's i think it's a uh, bill maher who always likes to use this argument that the believers always want to have the one the extra one extra thing meaning like he could find a rational person 
uh, who he believes uh, with on 99 out of 100 things. But he'll say, well, you have to believe in that 100th thing called God. And I just stopped short of that, is what he would say. Right, right. And, yeah. and, and I'd say that's completely the wrong way. That's, that's, a, that's a disingenuous argument by far because there's two, there's, there's, there's three big arguments, right? There's creationism, theistic evolution, and naturalism. And naturalism is that everything's random, everything exists, that we, we are, that the mind doesn't exist, the soul doesn't exist. We're just kind of what they, I think people have sometimes called meat puppets, you know, we're just, uh, we're nothing more than molecules. And that's, the atheists say that's, that's their truth. Mm-hmm. It, and I say, no, I think theistic evolution is more, is a more powerful argument. And I would say, well, why don't we debate? You, you want that? that thesis, I have this one, and let's go ahead and debate. But they try to discount the believer by saying, well, you you put God in the gaps. Everything that isn't known, you just stick God in the gaps. Mm. And uh, and uh, that way they don't they can dismiss you. They don't have to argue. Right. Um, and so um, it's, it, but you're, you, you make a very, very good point. Yeah, the... Um... I, I, the one I read that I thought was a uh, pretty compelling and a very unlikely uh, author was uh, Michu Kaku's uh, "The Case for God," right? Have you? Are you familiar? I don't think I have read that one. Okay, yeah, he's he was the founder, I believe, of string theory. He's a physicist, and he was, you know, like a hardcore atheist. And uh, he he wrote a book. I, I believe it's called "The Case for God." I'm not sure. I would have to look through. Um, <laughs> I haven't read it in a long time, but yeah, I thought it was very uh, well laid out, and it is more of like a creationist type of uh, argument, right. uh, just that things are not completely random. That d- there's lots of evidence to indicate for some sort of intelligent design, and uh, but coming from a uh, string theory quantum physicist, that's a pretty bold statement. So essentially, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In- that Martin Reese, I think I, I want to say just it's called just seven numbers. Uh, there's um, um, there's signature in the cell. That was a, a very good one. It that gets into the DNA as like is a is a computer program, and anywhere where you see a computer program, there's usually a programmer. <laughs> and uh, right complexity of DNA is just beyond anything that we've even engineered on Earth by a million fold and it's say that oh this is just kind of came about through random genetic mutations and mm-hmm. randomness and so on and you know that the the that the uh uh that the atheist argument will say well usually to that uh, the cosmological argument for instance about the complexity and so on they'll say well there's we believe in the multiverse theory that there's infinite number of universes and uh, well that doesn't get to the cause what caused the you know, right Universes, <laughs> number yeah, one, right, and, and it's also ironic because out of those infinite number of universes, if I choose to say one of those universes, there's a God, mm-hmm. and God created the universe, they go, well, that doesn't, that's not allowed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because the, they, with infinity, you can make up anything at any time, but they, I... they'd much rather believe Martians came and did things here on Earth as opposed to, you know. DNA or DNA on a on an asteroid or something like that from some unknown source. As soon as you bring up anything related to the divine, it's like anything but that. Anything but that. 
I've heard yeah. really interesting theories about DNA. That um, one is that it. Uh, some people believe that some scientists actually are arguing that it's it works like an antenna, um, and that it is. Oh, yeah, with with the uh, the quantum soul and yeah, death. Yes, yes. Um, and then there's uh the sequencing that uh of DNA that spells Yahweh. Now that I haven't read, I'm gonna have to look up that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. thought that was fascinating as well. Um, yeah. Quite, that wouldn't, I also wouldn't shock me. And, it, you know, it's it's funny. I, when people say, if God exists and he's all good, he's all powerful and he's all, all good, why wouldn't he just put across the face of the moon, you know, in big letters, I am God, I exist. Yeah. <laughs> and he would say, well, why would he do it? Because then people would look up and see the moon and they say, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I was wrong, and um, the uh, the explanation I've heard is is that look in the Old Testament, uh, parting of the Red Sea, and what, and then you're reading a, the next chapter is they they start worshiping a uh, a golden calf, <laughs> you know? right, like, right. But it's like if you could, so God I think knows that you could do some if you search for the miracles. There's the uh, the Guadalupe mysteries and all these there there are miracles and mysteries all over if you research them. But if you're if you just want to sit back and go, I want them to come to me and let the miracles come to me. I want to test God. Let them come to me. And if you put it across the moon, you would look at it and then a week or, or a year would go by and it would it wouldn't be enough anymore. I don't believe in it anymore. That's it, it's it's I, it's old school. I think there's another element to it, and certainly the Old Testament speaks to this, is that, uh, you know, the, the notion of free will, and you need to choose. And the, the Old Testament is, you know, one of the central themes of the Old Testament is that everybody, uh, the Jews are encouraged to question everything, including the existence of God. And through that questioning and through that, the uh, journey of the inquiry, of course, they, they stray away repeatedly, but th- that's part of the path and the process because if there is you know the if there is this the god that uh, of the bible one of the things that it stipulates is that you have to choose you have to choose him and you can't choose him if it's if it's just very evident right the other argument i hear often from people is well you know if there is this benevolent god then why is there evil why do bad things happen why do bad things happen to good people but i i think so much of that is because there is free will so humans have to choose, and you choose every second, every minute of every day. You choose good, you choose bad. We make mistakes, we're fallible because we are human. And it is through those choices, though, that you choose who you serve. And I think that's really the crux of it. So it's if it were so blatantly obvious, there would be no choice, right? That that was part of the Old Testament as well, as where, uh, you know, at first God was uh, was seen, revealed, and uh, but then there's no free will and it was uh you know I, I believe it was genesis that changed that and so now you know without it being known you make that choice and that's really kind of the the cornerstone so right yeah exactly yeah it's uh it, it's if if you want to think of a good theory that pits the facts is that uh god created this earth where it was a quadrillion to one shot that all these things would align to allow life to form. Mm-hmm. And you say, oh, there's infinite universes, whatever, but let's just say 
Mm-hmm. It's the sake of the sake argument that my theory, this theory works that so God created and and that uh, he created the uh, ill. He, I happen to get this into this into the film, and my apologies to anybody who's let's say um, of a different belief when it comes to the age of the earth, let's say, and so on and so forth. Okay. But you know, I'm a little more on the side of Thomas Aquinas and old earth and so on that Adam and Eve had probably ancestors. But at some point, you know, he fashioned this vessel. This is a right out of the scene in the film. We, fa- you know, God fashioned these vessels, and they were came through, you know many common DNA through chimps and mice and so on, fashioned this vessel to break out to the brain just to the right size and to be able to start uh, turning on and off and, and expressing genes in a slightly different way to allow speech. And then the big bang of art occurs and, and, and it basically allows this free will to, to take over now, you know, up, up to in, including rejecting him. Um, and just, you know, God wants our love of kind of like, you know, Romeo wants Juliet and wants us to, doesn't, he's not, he didn't, Romeo didn't put a prenup agreement in front of Juliet and say, make sure you check all these boxes and that we're, it's kind of, you got to do this, that, and the other. And it's, it's, he puts, he wants us to love him. So he gives us all this free will. And obviously after the fall, you know, of the original sin, it, there's, sins that we can actively commit and then there's sins of the natural world that we that uh, kind of became part of this fallen world too like tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes and and cancers and leukemias and why you know young people who did nothing wrong and who 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 are suffering and so why how could this occur you know it's but um the movie does try to get a little bit into that about why do bad things happen to good people um too so um that this ballet or this this uh uh thing that god set this up and he says you're going to we're going to allow this to allow satan to try to do his best and he's going to give people the choice to say do you want me or do you reject and you want and he doesn't cast anybody into hell it's in my opinion you are you are that's a choice you might make yourself if you live your entire life and you say, I want nothing to do with God. God gives you what you ask for at the end. <laughs> and so you will be eternally separated from God. That's basically what you asked for your whole life. And I'm just giving you what you asked for. Um, it's not about, oh, God is so mean and cruel. He would cast me into eternity. The hell, he, de- he never forces you to do something you don't want to do, including accepting him after you die. Right. Right. Yeah, I I know the the notion of hell is a uh, it, it varies across you know even within Christianity. I think people have yeah, yeah absolutely a lot of time yeah. yeah whether or not you believe in purgatory or not. it's very vague like they it's almost more like how you describe a you know like just not choosing separation yeah yeah that is a more similar or think of it almost like a. Dante's Inferno. It's kind of similar to that. The levels, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's not outlined. I, like I that, happen to believe in that. I think but, the levels in heaven too, and in hell. But in heaven, you don't get there and say, "Oh, you happen to be on one of the lower levels," and look up and see these these uh, saints. Everybody in heaven, I think, it, we call a saint. But there will be some people that are, I think, at these higher levels uh, within heaven. 
but there's no jealousy. There's no anger. You know, there's not like, oh, I wish I was more like him or her. Um, it's just, just a, just perfect happiness. So, yeah. So I, I'm curious, Pam, with your experience, um, were you religious before this or? Yes, you were. Okay. Yeah, I'm Roman Catholic from, okay, 13 days old. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So how did, uh, so what has your journey been like with, uh, the experience of the stroke and, uh. With uh, Wally going on this journey and uh, making the movie, well, it, it's been interesting. I mean, <laughs> I I thought I, he actually joined the church after my firstborn son. Okay. I, yeah, I was an agnostic. agnostic yeah, mother. right. And uh, so I thought he believed, but then I guess he didn't believe much. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I I said, you know, I want to watch this film. I said, sure, go ahead, and. Uh, and he wrote it. Wow. And you titled it Christine's Wager, which is kind of like a takeoff of uh, Pascal's Wager. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you chose that for the title and the theme? Yeah, I'd seen some uh, I'd seen some uh, presentations, I believe on YouTube, that uh, his name escapes me, but he said that in a world, uh, you know, again, thinking about Gen Z and, and millennials, that he, this particular writer and presenter, found that the Pascal's Wager, done you know, uh, which is you know, written in the 17th century by Blaise Pascal, who was a very good apologist for the Christian Church. He tried to make his make the best case he could. He was also a brilliant mathematician. He invented many things, including probability theory. So he understood about all these things about 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 waging, about well, making wagers and betting. And, and he basically said that um, uh, it's not a high calling, but he he thought that the uh, this can appeal. But in contemporary times, people who are in college can listen to this argument and say, you know what, there's something there. Maybe it's not again. It's it, because at its root, it's about um, you're better off believing, you know, living as if God exists, even if you don't necessarily believe it at the time. Act as though. Yeah, act as if God exists. Now, why? It's because two main points is one is we're all going to lose, meaning we are all going to die. That is a certainty. Yeah, I don't have to bet on anything. I don't have to guess on that. Well, that that one's a guarantee. Yeah, we are all going to lose. I, I think there are some people currently who believe that they are are uh, impervious to this and they're going to murder machines and therefore they will live forever. But it's very possible. Uh, but, but yeah, for the rest of us, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so Pascal said, you know, basically, why not li- uh, bet on something you can win? And what do we all want? We all want infinite happiness. And he would say, infinite happiness is in heaven. Now, do, do you have to prove heaven exists? No. He's basically saying, no, you can make a bet on it. And he uses a coin flip as, as, the, uh, as the analogy. Says, okay, I'm going to flip a coin. If it comes up on God or no God, okay, this is what you're going to happen. And some people could argue, oh, it's not a 50-50. It's, I think, a, I think a, a hardcore Christian would say 95% chance. Some might say 100. I would argue, no, you don't know 100%. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but we only know one thing, 100%, is that I think that we exist. Um, now, some people think we could be brains and bats or something like that. But let's get off of that. But... The only one thing we know. Cartesian dualism was settled uh, quite a while ago, but yeah. (laughs) 
So, so he basically said, yeah, so you flip this coin and you're going to make a bet. And what do you, what are the stakes? The stakes are going to be how you live your life. And so I'm going to say, let's just say as a Christian, I say, I'm going to live as if God exists. I flip the coin. It comes up God. And what did I get? I probably get, I'm going to hopefully get happy and happiness. I win. What happens if it comes up? No God. And I live as if God exists. What did I lose? I lost maybe, oh, I didn't, I didn't cheat on my wife. I wasn't as good a friend. I wasn't as good a father. I maybe watched pornography, uh, whatever, you know, did I, what is the, are these technically losses? I would say probably not. I think being a good husband and father, loyal friend are probably all good things regardless, but I'll argue that, okay, fine. If you want to say, oh, I would have drank more. I would have done this more. I would have not given to the church. I would have spent it on other things. Who knows? All right, fine. Those are at least, I'll grant you those things, but they're finite. They are finite. The infinite will always trump the finite. Mm -hmm. um, now, that's just those two options. The, there's two other possibilities, too, is I could say, I I want to live as if God doesn't exist, and the coin comes up, no God, and you might say, well, I won. Okay, fine. You won. You won some finite things. And the other thing is I can say I live as if uh, God doesn't exist, God does indeed exist, and there's probably a place where I don't want to go, <laughs> kind of thing, and we won't get into that whole thing. But I focused in this film more on uh, living, trying to live for with infinite happiness. And if 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 you want to believe fifty fifty that God exists, you can. I think it's in all of our interests because it's the biggest questions of the, of our t is where did we come from? Why are we here? What's my purpose? Right. Atheist, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, uh, uh, Muslim. We, I think we all, I would argue, you want to know the answer to those questions to the best of your ability. So research it. So I would, I think that I am into the 90% as if I was a jury and I was going to convict somebody potentially on something. You want to be beyond reasonable doubt or beyond a, a so I think. By researching it, you can get that 50% closer into the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, to the person who doesn't want to research it, and they think it's one in a million, and they'll think it's one in a billion when they're about to die, I would still say the infinite still trumps your one in a million or one in a billion. <laughs> and that's, where, right. that's, that's Pascal's wager, is, uh, is that the infinite will always be. And that's the, that's the tagline of the film, Bet on the Infinite. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Betting on the infinite. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a profound point that regardless of worldview, whether it be uh, atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, Jewish, you know, uh, even I would even argue some of the ancient, uh, you know, mythological and uh, pan pan pantheistic. Oh, pantheistic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but really the, uh, the central theme to all of it is uh, man's search for meaning and uh, man's search for, I, I think on some level, primordial transcendence or the question of whether it, there is such thing. 
as a primordial transcendence, but I think there is a, a desire, an innate desire for there to be a primordial transcendence because without primordial transcendence, then it makes it makes the realization that our existence is very fleeting, ephemeral, and uh, possibly insignificant. It, it, you know, it kind of magnifies that possibility, which is a very difficult thing, I think, for anyone to contend with. Because why bother, right? And we, and part of this film is to try to get people to, is to think we we do everything we can to divert ourselves. And in fact, Pascal called them diversions to think about our deaths and right. literally are always trying to distract from our death. We're all going to die. And yeah. unfortunately, younger people die and older people, you know, you might live to 95 and you might live to 50 or 15, you know, right. and, you know, God forbid. But um, in the span of, in, in the span of the universe, that that's such a grain of sand, right? Now I can say this as a, as a 56 year old, person who's been blessed with health and and so on but uh um to somebody who doesn't have that help i would never try to preach this as saying oh be happy you know that there's a there's a there's an illness you know uh, that you're having to having to fight um i would just say best we could do is just to be be there you know and and uh, uh for them but uh yeah it's um it's a, a very it's a very difficult subject, and I I took my I took a shot at in a story form to try to try to touch on some of those subjects. Yeah, no, that that's incredible. What was the uh the process like for you as someone who has never made a film before? Uh, and I'm so sorry, where where are you based? I'm in Indianapolis. Indiana. Okay, so you're not like in Hollywood or yeah. So what was this experience like? Yeah, it sure as heck didn't have any friends in the film business. No. <laughs> right, right. There were no uh, connections to call call upon and favors to call in. And but now I do have some friends, which is awesome. And, Great. <laughs> but um, it's uh, it basically uh, you, you know did a lot of you know googling and researching and. Uh, reading and uh and i started with i started with a uh, uh an actress in in la uh jennifer taylor she's okay. she's been in uh, a lot of great movies she's she was in half man with charlie sheen she's yeah. been in lifetime she's been in um hallmark among other movies uh, and um uh again i you know that how it works in you if you're an imdb you put in your resume and and well, as soon as people look you up, you're going to say, "Well, what films do you have to your credit?" And uh, I didn't have any. Um, and um, and, and I got a lot of folks. last job, so they they don't even really. You may have a phenomenal resume, and if you haven't worked in a few years, they oh. like, "Okay, next." You know. Yeah, in fact, if you Google, yeah, if you could put my name in, you, you get a, maybe a LinkedIn profile about an engineer. You know, I've got you know professional engineer credentials and stuff like that. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything in the film. But um, uh, I reached out, I, I researched Jennifer Taylor and found out how she's done some faith-based films. And then I found out that she grew up in North Jersey in a town near me. And then she went to high school. Oh, wait, where in, in North Jersey? Uh, Oakland in Bergen County. Oh, I grew up in Inglewood Cliffs. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Well, I, was, I was there for basically birth through about age 13. And in wow. high school in the South Florida, 
And it turns out Jennifer Taylor went to the neighboring high school that I went to in almost the exact same age range. We, we overlapped. I'm five. I'm actually six years older than her. But when I started talking about how I waited tables at the local Red Lobster, oh yeah, I remember that. And it would have been infinitely hilarious if I waited on her and her family when she was when I was eighteen and she was twelve. <laughs> but you, uh, and then I I wrote that to her agent and her agent then communicated with me and and we just got a conversation. We finally worked it out, and she was my first. And after I got her attached to the film, I think. Then I was able to get a little more, uh, it probably built some momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And um, then I hired um, the lead who played Christine, Jessica Cloyan, mm -hmm. uh, who happens to be in Indiana. Um, and I then we took her and her husband out to eat. We did things completely different, by the way. I mean, they even told us this. Uh, they said, hey, you know, this isn't the way you necessarily, <laughs> usually you ask for an audition tape and then you never reply back if you never anybody you know so what i did is i watched i watched i said i said if you need an audition sides for an audition here you go but i'd like to just take you to dinner and we talk about it <laughs> and so this is the way i do in the engineering world when i interview people so i said i'm going to do it the way do it that way here and yeah film I, so, I mean honestly i think it is in some ways i mean i, I was an actress and i was a producer as well so uh, in some ways, I think that, especially for the type of project that you're doing, that is a much better way to do it. Uh, you know, auditioning, it's very interesting because some of the best auditioners are the worst actors. And some of the best actors are really, really awful at auditioning. And when you look at how uh, the field of acting originated, you know, it, we, we didn't always have televisions. We didn't always have film mediums, right? So really the the origins of acting come from theater and they come from like ancient theater. You know, you think about like ancient Greece and where they had those uh, big, you know, pan, you know, like the oh, omni theaters and amphitheaters, amphitheaters exactly. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a cultural experience, not to say that it isn't today, but, um, in some ways, it was very different because they didn't have anything else, right? They had the 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 sports, which are arguably theater also, and they were performed in a very similar type of uh, arena. And uh, so it comes from the they what they used to do is they would have theater companies, and you would train in the theater companies, and that was essentially your auditioning. You would get cast out of the theater companies. So. While you may have an audition for a theater company, it's very different than having, you know, reading, cold, cold reading some sides and, you know, having to kind of learn them, like get right. familiar with them five minutes before, hop in. And it's a very cold type of environment, whereas a theater company, even the audition process is very, very different. I mean, today it's changed quite a bit, but, you know, the in the old days, the way it was done. So... That's much more like what you're talking about, taking someone to dinner because you're you're seeing if, one, you work well together, and two, if you have a similar vision because it is a creative endeavor that you're working together, whereas the way a lot of these film and, and television auditions are done, it's like cattle just coming in one after the next, and you're, you, you, you don't have much of a relationship at all with the people. And then the casting director completely steps aside once the project gets started, too, so... Yeah. You say that because the because uh, after we confirmed, I had I'd already known she was my she was going to be Christine before an audition, right. 
And we had such a nice dinner together with her and her husband that uh, a day goes by and I said, how would you like to direct it to? Wow. <laughs> and, she, and because again, yeah, she had to think about it because um, uh, it turned out they they were, uh, there was going to be a baby on the way and they the, and it, there was a lot of things in their life they had to think about. I only know this sometime after. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the, um, uh, again, I knew, uh, I was proceeding down a path working with somebody thinking that I was going to have a producer was going, a third, another producer, a third party producer was going to work with me and, and kind of do all the backgrounds of hiring the crew and managing the crew, paying the crew. And then I was going to be a director, but there's going to be somebody handholding for me, you know, like working with me to handhold. And I just thought this is a film directed at, at Gen Z females. What do I know about directing people about that? Um, so, uh, so I ended up saying, you know what I can do though is we can both. Pam's a, a pharmacy. She's a doctor of pharmacist, doctor of pharmacy, and I'm an engineer. I said we can organ. We're pretty good organizers. We can make spreadsheets and stuff. And now, by all means, it was one of is the hardest thing we ever did. We made mistakes, um, but I thought it was a it was a slightly shorter putt to go to a producer role and to direct. So. I said, "How do you feel about leading and directing?" And she was a uh, she was you know all, you know about thirty years old you know, and uh, she had not directed a a feature length film before. She'd done some shorts, and uh, I said, well, "Let's just go in and have make this an adventure kind of together." <laughs> you can, I, how do you feel about coaching people? You know, there are a lot of other females about that same age, and and it was again she was the focus as Christine and Christine Wader. And I'm so glad I made that decision because she did, she was able to coach, uh, these actors in a way I could have done it for years. Wow. Once, once she was brought on then she was a casting director as well. So she, she then did, she took roughly, I don't know, I think there was a thousand people people. may have actually in aggregate sent in audition tapes Mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, she pared it down and said, just give me a short list on a, maybe two or three of your favorites per role and let's then we'll see uh we'll and then we'll discuss it amongst ourselves amongst your short list and that's how we got the the cast done and the crew was just about um a little bit a friend of a friend you kind of go in that route and picking a dp a director of photography and then he knew a yeah, first day his first assistant camera second assistant he worked with so once we got the director the lead we got jennifer taylor as the mm-hmm. This kind of a our, our I call our star in this film for sure, and our lead director DP. Then from there we were able to round out the rest of the cast and crew, uh, again through just just putting our nose down and getting it done. Um, and then I wrote all the contracts. I was the location scout and manager, and so I had to try to scout out about. Well, we ended up with about 14, 14, locations. 14 locations. That was probably one of the hardest. Most frustrating things of all to deal with is locations. And not a studio in Annapolis. So yeah, it's very, it's I'm like LA. Yeah, we have very little. Indiana is like one of four states that have no benefits for making films, and it's right. so there are no nobody set up to to even do it. So you talk about hey, how about letting us shoot in your restaurant and your clothes and and you get. They think, what kind of movie is this? Is this going to be, is this going to make us look bad? And, and <laughs> that kind of, these are valid questions, you know. Wow. Um, what were people's responses to 
to you filming there since it's well, not? Well, we at uh, I we had about fourteen locations. I probably pulled went on and pinged twenty or thirty, maybe about twenty five or thirty. So it was like, hey, one one out of two is pretty good. That you know, by the time, so it wasn't like I got a hundred no's to my one yes. Right. But uh, yeah, we found uh, one of some universities, couple. We found uh, you know a couple iconic restaurants, and mm-hmm. we found a, the 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 best stroke of luck was the hospital, yeah. which is this place at, at the downtown university where they teach other doctors and nurses, and the whole floor was set up with very high tech high tech dummies, but they had behind these windows would be these computers, and they would make these dummies you know while you're being tested, it'll get somebody on cardiac arrest, and they'd have to react, and and but all the rooms looked. There, you know, there's a nurse's station and operation rooms and all this on a big floor, and and they had rented it out for a day or two here and there for commercials, but never for a film. Right. And I said, "How about how about doing for a film?" And they said, "Sure, how about paying this much." <laughs> oh, oh, and I saw we just had to take our lumps on that. <laughs> but that's a, that's incredible! What an undertaking. You said that you um, really wanted to target the uh, Gen Z females. Right. What was your reason for that? And what is it that you hope that they're going to get out of it? Well, um, it's because it, 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 that generation is the one that I'm afraid for the most <laughs> right now. And it doesn't mean that I'm a Gen X. I mean, it doesn't mean that our generation got it right. Um, the baby boomers, I would say, uh, got the most wrong. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Unfortunately, <laughs> would, you know, apologies to all your baby boomer. Uh, I know, I know. I yeah, I'm trying to they're they're wonderful, people. but they they missed a lot. Unfortunately, huh? So anyway, so I just uh, I I'm just was scared for the direction I saw my kids go. To be through. fair, the programming for the baby boomers was some of the most egregious. So. You know, they, they had some of the most uphill battle. Um, and they're also, you know, I, I think they had the illusion of everything being so uh, copacetic and blissful. Uh, and then the programming on top of it. So the cards were definitely stacked against them in many ways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, uh, if you, if you, we kind of, as Catholic churchgoers and, and, and and by the way, in this film, we don't try to paper over the the scandals and such of, of mm-hmm. the church, and we don't try to uh, apologize for it. Um, okay. We just try to hit that head on. Um, so uh, even though there's uh, there's some there's a priest in here, and there's a very nice Catholic cathedral in here, it's by no means a uh, a way to try to divert people's attention from the mistakes. And we talk about baby boomers, and that generation happens to be in charge. Right now, uh, of the church through its worst time, at least in the last hundred years, I'd say. So I think when that when that generation sort of moves out of leadership, I'm just praying that the Gen X leadership could come in and will make some improvements, you know, kind of a thing. So that's kind of. But you asked about why Gen Z. So it's just mostly because my kids were that gen are that generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of millennial as well. Um, and uh, uh, and female because uh, I think women are 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 under attack more so than men. Um, I think women are under more pressure than uh, than men. Um, 
It's okay. uh, well, I think women, first of all, the, the females make men better, meaning that it is that in the dating world, let's just say, for instance, it's that men are are genetically programmed and you know, to to go here, there, and everywhere, and mm-hmm. women are are our natural way of of gaining or trying to become better, trying to become better men, sure. trying to increase our responsibility to be a good husband and father. Right. And they, without that influence of the, and I'm not trying to say you got to be a whole builder and, and stuff. You could obviously right. be very professional, but that, that is God's perfect plan to kind of create that, you know, we needed population growth. So men had to have this, this sort of pro, pre-programming in a way to, to, find a lot of women attractive, they'll just say. <laughs> and, and again, no excuses for fooling around. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say we're, we're forced to do any of this stuff, but, um, I, uh, no, I read a book called the, uh, uh, gosh, it, it was called the anti-Mary. It was about the Virgin Mary, but it was about, it actually got into a little bit about some of the feminism movements, which were various movements and that and obviously not all in the bad way but uh it got into uh, a lot of the things where um uh women needed to or women were just under constant attack and just well just look at the way things are now they the the, the messaging for young women is act go ahead and be like a guy you know if you oh, says if men can do it awful. you should do it just go ahead and be like the man you know, mm-hmm. and in low, in essence, lower yourself <laughs> to be like the men. Women are, na- I think, are right. Uh, are I put women up here and the men down here, honestly? And they're saying lower yourself to that kind of behavior. Says so, and and that's and that's what I that was one the very first scene in Christine's wager is she's waking up next to somebody and there's no nothing there's nothing um, uh, you know. Uh, over the top, let's just say, you're not seeing anything like that. But it starts with that, with the hookup culture. And her attitude was, you know, it's, I'm doing this thing because I, I feel like doing it. I, I can do it. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, uh, dialogue in the film that, that gets into like, I'm going to be more like a man. That right. Of, but it's- so I just, I just thought that, um, that's kind of a, my meandering, not so good answer to why why focus on the women and it and it it does not uh, hold her women up to be the cause of all our problems. It actually kind of holds up women to be the um, uh, the way to make men better, <laughs> and, sure. and they will make men much better. And 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 the guys in this film, the father, for instance, is kind of a pretty bad character. <laughs> He's a the parents are divorced and basically because of him and uh he needs to come to a uh, a better understanding when he got into marriage he didn't the wife was religious and he wasn't and he uh you know when you get married in front of god in front of the church it's really three people are involved in that marriage you know god the husband and the wife and if you'd have no belief it's supposed to be the government has unfortunately inserted themselves but but yes, that that is yeah. how it was originally. Designed. Holy matrimony ideally had, understands that full that full thing, full uh, relationship between the three, and he didn't have that, and she did, and without giving away too much of the plot, you know, he realizes his mistakes. Um, wow. Well, I definitely think that uh, I, I like that you address the, the hookup culture because I think, especially with the 
younger generation, it's one of the biggest lies that they've been sold. Uh, and I do think it is very much tied to a depopulation agenda. Uh, you know, a lot of people might not understand exactly how that is, but, you know, it destroys the, it destroys marriage, it destroys relationships, it destroys the family. Um, and it, it yeah, I, I think, you know, that when you were saying that you think there's, there's a war on women, I mean, I think there's definitely a war on both uh, women and men, but the, the women do, in, in a lot of ways, uh, set the standard for the behavior of men. You know, I always joke that men will do what whatever they can get away with doing. <laughs> you know, and if the, the women, women are, are the perfectors of the men, without a doubt, they make men they they make boys into men, and they make right. they make men into better men. Yeah, um, hopefully, they, 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 I think that they have. They are the protectors. Men are generally the protectors, and and uh, um, uh, family, and, and um, I totally agree. And and by the way, people that say, "Are you going to do a sequel?" If I ever did a sequel. Uh, it would be about the the corresponding war on young men. Um, yeah, because I was just where I was going to go with that. I was just going to say that you know they. I think there is an agenda to you talked about kind of the masculinization of women, but I think that ultimately the goal is to emasculate the men, which they've been largely successful in doing. Because you know, in an emasculated society, as you said, men are the protectors, the providers, right? They're the uh, the hunters and the, uh, the and typically the leader of the family and when you emasculate the men then you have a much weaker society which is much more uh easily controlled and manipulated and yeah yes yeah combined with the a the belief that the young people if you ask them does evil exist and they would say evil is more like in the movies yeah. they would say that's does it's not real right you may remember that uh that very tragic case in Canada, I want to say the Toronto area, at that university where a couple terrorists rounded up the students and split up the men and the women. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but there were women that were separated from the men. Okay. And they then proceeded to execute the women one by one within earshot of all the men hearing what was going on. And uh, this is very, you know, people say, oh, easy for you to say, you weren't there, but the, the men made no effort to to overcome the uh, the uh, wow. the terrorists in this case, and they just were deer in the headlights. And people, I've seen I've also seen this at gymnasiums at, at auditoriums at high school where they'll bring a World War II veteran who stormed Normandy Beach, and he'll be telling his story. And there was somebody it was on YouTube, and somebody raised their hand and said, "Sorry, why did you do this?" Honestly, asking in a, in complete honesty, a moment of complete honesty, why would you put your life at risk right. when the person to the right and the left got mowed down by these machine gun nests? Why would you do it? And it's because they don't believe evil exists. There is no evil. And when they when he had to explain as best as he could, I did it because Hitler was evil and we had to fight it. Right. What was their response? Yes. Yeah, uh, it, I think maybe that person heard it, and 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 maybe a few small percentage of the audience understood it. But I just have a I I fear that people just think it's a it's a it's something in books and like Harry Potter books and movies that it doesn't really exist. Um, we have the evil truly exists, and men especially have to fight it. At I mean, with physical force if need be, and that was the that was the you know the Canada case for instance they uh they needed to to do something and and 
you know, I heard about the, you know, the mental state of a lot of these folks who afterward, you know, the guilt that they didn't do. Some, I think there may have been some suicides a little later, but yeah, the the guilt involved after that. So yeah, the, uh, all these things combining, you look at what's happening in college now too, is that the, it's, it's greatly swinging, you know, where the overwhelming percent, high percentage of graduates are going to be, could be women. Because uh, young men are dropping out. Right. And what do you attribute that to? Well, hey, um, well, we have a little like, personal experience. We have two boys and a girl. Um, a girl is uh, is uh, going to be a forensic scientist and, and, and top of her class. And two boys tried college and they just didn't, and they decided they wanted to do something else. And they wanted to focus on something, uh, one become like an electrician, like a trade, a craft, uh, and, the, and the other wants to be like a personal trainer, maybe police, maybe fire, fireman, that's a, it, and that's, and I told all of them, they said, I'm proud of all of you. I want you to be happy. Do just pick something you were happy doing what you can do well. Um, that is the most important thing. But I, I, I think back, why is it that the boys, when they get to college are, um, having are having a harder time and I and I we saw a little bit of this and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush and say that the schools our, my kids went to parochial schools you know pretty much their whole life so it wasn't just a public versus parochial school issue sure. but um it the uh the natural energy and rambunctiousness of boys and my kids were pretty well behaved they didn't go they didn't get detention really <laughs> never but just they had a natural energy to them that was different than my daughter and my daughter just got uh, generally more nurturing throughout her entire school experience than the boys um and i'm not saying i know some people will say oh my gosh it's not like boys are are mistreated and girls are nurtured and loved and boys are hated it's not it's never you know it's never that black and white yeah. you know but it's it's there is a I, there was a Let's just say it manifests itself in confidence. My daughter got into college with supreme confidence, and my sons uh, were not as confident. Interesting. I don't know enough. I mean, personality, and uh, there, there are many things that would obviously play a role. But uh, uh, the thing that you know initially comes to mind is a lot of uh, a lot of our education system is predicated on a Prussian model of education, which was designed for obedience and women tend to be, you know, more uh, just by nature. This is, you know, obviously there's exceptions to every rule. I mean, I was not very good at being, you know. Uh, like Jordan yeah. Harrison would say agreeableness. Right, exactly, exactly. And apparently I, I am not. I'm actually quite disagreeable. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I recognize there's exceptions to the rule. Yeah, those are general uh, trends. But, there's but, a way it looks what say that again lots of oh there are obviously many exceptions yeah 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 of course of course but but as a general rule statistically speaking women tend to be more agreeable and uh the the education system is designed for that and i i think one of the things that speaks to this is that you know we have such a rise of putting particularly young boys on things like ritalin and adderall uh because they felt they were difficult and you know they labeled it add uh, ADHD. We we now have lots of evidence to indicate that you know that that may not have been quite such an honest uh, labeling. And I think in a lot of cases, you know, again, I don't want to make a bl- 
blanket statement, but I think in a lot of cases, it was really just the teachers not wanting to deal with boys are rambunctious and they have a lot of energy and they're they're not typically as agreeable. And yeah, that's and a pharmacist. She, well, she's got it. She's you, you know all about she's this. <laughs> she's but she's anti-drug yeah. to the extent that you could avoid it, right. avoid it, at, make it your absolute last line of defense. Right. Right. Uh, right. Why? Why make it the first line of defense? Because every drug has some sort of a side effect. They all have you. You know that when you're going into when you make that choice. At least you should. You should know that you're you're never going to avert some side effect. So if you could avert that by not taking it at all and finding a, a more holistic solution, why wouldn't you? Right. Our youngest went to a, a, a special needs school for children with ADD, ADHD, and dyslexia. And he did not have ADD, ADHD. He had dyslexia um, and still does. Yeah. He, he, he adopted from Eastern Europe. So he had an incredibly hard early life. Um, wow. No idea if that had any bearing whatsoever to having dyslexia probably not um it's entirely possible that it did uh because it is a uh you know it can be a result of a uh brain insult which can be uh from trauma you know trauma can absolutely yeah, yeah he was about two and a half he adopted him uh he had no yeah. direct memories but he's a true orphan as yeah. as uh his mom was unfortunately uh killed um wow. but um uh in the school we know that almost all, all the it was very male dominated because ADD, ADHD seems to be much more of a boy thing than a girl thing. Yeah, totally. And I, I don't, I don't think that that is a purely a uh, biological uh, result. I think, well, I do think it's biological, but I think it has more to do with the uh, biological behavior wiring of boys versus girls. Just yeah, yeah. So. So less to yeah, do so with the, so how does that pathology I, or yeah, yeah just with the intrinsic nature yeah so uh, why there's been such a nosedive in the number of males going to college now I think it's like sixty forty or something like that graduating that means we're incoming freshmen or even a bigger disparity um, than that um, so um, it's uh, yeah it's an interesting topic and it's it's got me thinking about it if I were to try to tell a story what would my goal be story and, and that kind of a thing well I, I think one of the silver linings is the value of college education uh you know certainly in terms of investment versus uh, return is definitely uh decreasing you know there there was a time where you had to go to college and there was actually even a time where if you didn't have a, a graduate higher education degree your opportunities were greatly diminished and now I think the the reverse is actually happening, where a lot of there's a lot of value on having a skill, a trade, uh, but not necessarily a higher degree. So, right, I, I know the statisticians will still point to all the lifetime earnings as like a million or two million dollar difference between the four year graduate, and not. And I know if you take a big enough sample, you can you can try you can make they those. they also come from that model and have been heavily indoctrinated to point their findings towards such things so i know totally it, it, <laughs> it makes no it makes no claim as the quality of life how happy are you in that life how many years have maybe shaved off your life by working for all that extra money but uh it, but um uh i would also uh i'd also say that um, um aside from the, uh, the uh, going for the trades the uh it's much it's much easier now to get a associate's degree or better online yeah. So, so if you want to go into the trade, 
And they said, you know what? After 10 years, I'd like to move into management now, and I need to have some uh, 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 administrative degree, yeah. a credential more than anything to get there. Now, mm-hmm. you can live online at night, and, and you don't need to spend that $150,000 to go to into the, into the which is uh, the character in this movie happens to be coming from that from that perspective he wasn't like he's a journalism major you know journalism student but she's taking full advantage of the uh of the social aspects of college yeah and uh, let's face it i mean a lot of folks say hey it's my time this is my four years to go and have fun um it's part of it but uh i mean we both were both purdue grads and uh we did the the traditional (laughs) traditional thing so i'm not knocking it um um Whether it's STEM fields or the liberal arts, I, I can leave respect for them all. But, um, I think you're exactly right. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the balance now of entering the trades and and so on. My hope though, my 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 hope though is is that that when you could uh, you tell me from the people you talk to is as is um, uh, our our women are so many more women are now going to be in the future walking around with degrees and so fewer men are walking around without degrees how are will men be able to uh uh go on dates and meet women and so on and so forth how you know you've heard of hypergamy and that sort of thing and is that going to be a real problem or or will, will there be a shift in the mindset of of both male and female to allow more of those of those kinds of relationships I think it's a fascinating question. Uh, I think it was Jordan Peterson who I, I know Jordan Peterson did a study on this, and it was like the uh, higher IQ and uh, more attractive the female was, than the smaller the uh, chances of getting married were. Um, and there's a pool of men that are equal. And smaller pool of men, exactly. Um, right. Well, and and it seemed to be uh, the. The logic behind it did seem to be bifurcated because uh, partially it was just a smaller, as you said, smaller sample of men that they had because men typically want to, uh, women tend to want to date up and men want to, you know, find someone who's yeah. their match or a little bit under. Equal yeah. or low, men, so a lot of men are intimidated, right? If potentially exactly. going higher. But, um, yeah. So, and then there is also just, yeah, the psychological and sociological component of that, you know, what is acceptable, what is expected. And so, yeah, it, it will be very, very interesting to see, uh, you know, of course, the cynic in me, uh, the skeptic in me kind of thinks that that uh, works very well in the favor of the elites who are looking to decrease the, uh, the marriage rates and the relationships and the population, right? Uh, it seems like that would be a great strategy for them. So yeah. that that is, and, and they th- and they and they're they're pushing that we're overpopulated, which is well, yeah, yeah, is, of course we're overpopulated. But they created extra life because we are underpopulated, and so they needed to create artificial wombs where babies can grow, and they call them babies. They call them, you know, a, whereas if it's in a uh, mother's womb, then it's not a baby. Then it is just a clump of cells. But if it is an artificial synthetic tube, you know, wound, then then it is a life. So, but and it's because we're underpopulated. So they seem to really be very very clear on whether oh, we're what what yes. the truth is there. Yeah. Gaslighting. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just made, yeah none of it. It's totally gaslighting. I I was gonna say none of it makes any sense, but it, it does because it's they are gaslighting. That is actually accurate. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
tell a lie with confidence and as often as possible and isolate your the, the people from the truth. That is what Goebbels said. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so do you think you'll make a sequel? Where are you at with that? I should never brought it up. My wife is she she'll divorce me and then we'll yeah. be and we'll be uh, out there trying to talk, talk about fighting now. <laughs> no, because it, it was so stressful, was you might say, to do this film. But I, I've had been encouraged to say, you know, some write a screenplay, submit it to the, um just the folks I've been leading through this whole uh, experience, I think even people will say, you know what, I, I may not you I may not uh, uh, purchase your movie or distribute it, but maybe if you write a screenplay, we'll read it, you know, or those kinds of things, you know, that's all part of hey, um it's all I believe there's a plan and uh, it I don't I don't get to know what how that plan works or why it works. And right. that's something that to try. Um as I get closer to a retirement age, I, I could I think it's a it's a fascinating hobby, if you want to call it a hobby, a profession for people who focus on it and have great respect for it. But it's just it's pretty expensive hobby, but yeah. <laughs> for all well, as far as making movies go, but writing screenplays, Ooh, I know some people yeah. try to crank out, you know, five or six a year, maybe more, yeah. and try to sell them in Hollywood and, and so on. And you can when you can make a living, it's hard, I would imagine, until you have that name right. and build up reputation. But I, I I, I'm attracted to it just because it's so hard. It's so. It Look, you it, like the challenge. Well, it just makes it it's so hard to think. Because engineering, by by definition, by comparison, is so easy because it's all you got to do is take a technical subject and explain everything down to the last little detail. You leave nothing to the imagination in when you present engineering. And that was my early scripts were so bad is because. I never let the audience think for themselves. I was trying to explain everything. That's so, fascinating. That's yeah, really fascinating. You have to have you have to use other things other than words to get your point across. Like, sure. like and you do have to, you have to engage with the audience to allow for them to elicit their own uh, creative uh, uh, experience. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And then how to use music uh, to get the emotional response and. Right. and and so on. Yeah, it's um, it, it is uh, it it. I, some people said writing screenplays is much harder than writing books. And I could see that. I probably should have tried to write a book first. <laughs> but, there, that, you know, I, I have not written written a book, but I've written um, you know, like uh, I've I've written screenplays and I've written uh, like short like novella type. Uh, you know, oh yes, yeah. and uh, they're very very different. It's, so I don't know if I would say one is harder than the other. Um, I think that the the use of imagination is slightly different because when you write a book, you actually need to do a lot more detail because you have to be so descriptive that you, uh, but that doesn't you're you're not shaping the outcome for for the reader, you know. So you you use enough description that they can come up with using the the visual in their heads, in their minds, they can fill in the gaps, but there needs to be a lot of description for them to do that. Whereas in a screenplay, a lot of that actually can be left out because the director is going to have a, a ultimate authority on that. And the you're writing it more for, for a director to create the visual outcome. Uh, you know, certainly television and film are sl and theater are all slightly different in that regard because of the mediums. But 
Yeah, uh, that that's really. I don't know that I've really thought about that, but it, it is definitely different. Um, and yeah, I think both are great. And yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> but I, I I just don't ever see myself um, producing a film, you know, from beginning to end again. Um, okay. uh, I could see myself reading the screenplay, or maybe being on a team where people say, hey, "Would you like to help us scout locations?" or "How would you like?" Right. Help us with the contracts, or help us with, um, uh, or or just give you a review of a screenplay, that kind of thing. What do you find good and bad? I those are kinds of things that I could see myself doing either as gratis for a friend, or potentially getting a little money out of it. I don't know. But. Right. What are your hopes and thoughts about the future of a faith based or or even just kind of messaging style of films? Um. I would say that the overwhelming majority of faith-based films out there um, are uh, of the uh, a variety that, uh, by the way, I like these films um, they, because I kind of like it when it, there's a part of me that says, oh, the Christians tend to win and the bad guys tend to lose mm-hmm. kind of a thing. But um, there, but there's a knock on them in that that if you were to, let's say, you wanted to invite your friend if you're, a, let's say, the Christian and you want to invite your friend or your brother or your sister to see a film with you, who happens to not be a believer? Mm-hmm. And you say, hey, let me watch this movie with me. You know? And some of these films do would, would do better than others, but other ones, you might you may do more harm than good mm-hmm. because they may leave the film and say, is that what you really think of me? It's like I'm, right. that I'm sort of the dumb one uh, or I'm the evil one or, you know, because a lot of some of these films, I don't know, will set up uh, the stereotypes and the um uh and the straw man arguments you know, mm-hmm. um sure. it helps uh and, and avoids all bad language it's very clean it's very family friendly um and there's a great place for those films but i was dead i wanted to hit gen z so i knew i knew i had to do something a little more veg mm-hmm. because otherwise they immediately kind of recognize it as oh you're pre you're an older guy that's trying to preach to me <laughs> kind of a thing <laughs> so um i then you have the other side of the fence, like the Mel Gibson movie, you know, like Passion. That was your first rated R movie that made all, you know, record record income. And it was rated R not for its language. It was obviously right. the, the realism. Right. Yeah. So I couldn't look. I, I, wanna, yeah. I don't compare myself to Mel Gibson or anything, but he, he says, I'm making a rated R based film because this is the way I think the passion really occurred. You know? Right, right, right. And so I, I could same approach except in this that i didn't make anything graphic i was using some language and so on it would be a pg-13 movie i'm guessing if i was going to get this graded um but it probably doesn't check the box as a as a family friendly where you bring the five and six and eight year old to watch because you get backwards and and some drinking and alcohol use bad words and some at least some references to sexuality although you don't really see anything you know uh sexual innuendo rather than uh actual right but i'm really looking forward to seeing what what he comes with well guess and does on his sequel you know to the past yeah i'm looking yeah. forward to that i um, I, 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 I think he's incredibly talented yeah mm-hmm. yep, yeah yep. um i know there were there were some movies that tried to do some historical things i mean i love watching the big epics like the ten commandments and ben-hur and you know charlton heston and 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 all that it's uh those you know 
it's funny to watch how they dubbed in the voices and that sort yeah. of thing. And you, and you see, at, you know, now that I've done a film, you see how, you know, you recognize, oh, I could tell that's a backdrop. That's not for real. <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. And they had big money to spend kind of a thing. Yeah. But I still love it. Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments, I just think, are two of the two of the mo- movies. If I was going to say, what shape, one of the earliest ones that kind of gave you, shake you a little bit, I think those two would, would jump right in. And they both had the same actor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, I unfortunately I'm gonna have to wrap this up because I had I have three today and I'm I'm on a tight schedule. Uh, but this has been incredible and so fascinating. So if you have anything else that you want to impart, please do. And of course, tell everybody where they can see the movie, where they can uh, find out more. Yeah. yeah, we're 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 still working out on distribution. So it might be late spring, early summer before we get it into video on demand. Um, uh. Maybe a limited theatrical release, then video on demand, and then it maybe yes, some 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 things after that, like free with ads kind of thing on on YouTube. But um, it's called Christine's Wager. If you go to www.christineswager.com, no apostrophe, but Christine's Wager. Um, we have Facebook. There's Instagram, and and that's the website. Uh, any any or all of those, uh, if you if you come over and follow, and we'll give you updates if you like to know when it's maybe coming closer to you that'd be great um love to have love to have the follows and 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 i'll post all the links yeah the rigid well that'd be fantastic and we're uh we're we're actually going to do a limited uh, we're going to do a uh a pre-release screening okay. tomorrow in jupiter florida where it's where we're at right now fantastic and, and uh, we'll be in la in early march to do a pre-release screening we did one in Indianapolis last week, so we we're kind of touring the country, doing three, three uh, events. To uh, nice, yeah. yeah I think uh, so. You, it, it kind of similar to uh, like a self distribution kind of, uh, at least in the beginning, where you're doing the yeah, 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 yeah. Part of these are to thank cast and crew at, in a way, but also to try to build up just uh, exposure. And, yeah. You know, following, and that only helps you with distribution. I'm firmly committed to working with a distributor. I won't. I don't right. think I'll distribute. Right. Um, but um, well, the, interestingly enough, I think it was Dances with Wolves that was one of the first kind of self distribution models, and that is it's similar to what they did though, because they they basically did uh, a bunch of premieres, if you will, uh, across the country. They picked select theaters and they rented out the theater. Uh, and they just they screen the movie so for a period of time so it might not uh, it's a more extensive process than what you're doing yeah, yeah. it's more like select so, premium yeah and then they ended up having a distributor pick it up but yeah yeah i've seen i saw the uh the kevin sorbo film um mm-hmm. the left behind film that yeah, just came yeah. out, uh, rise of the antichrist and right. uh uh, I, I'd recommend that movie. It was enjoyable. I, I like the Kirk Cameron version of it too. Back mm-hmm. I don't know, okay. years ago, um, but uh, I noticed that he uses the Fathom Events model. He right. gets it to hundreds, if not a thousand or more theaters for limited engagements. Yeah, uh, kind of thing. Uh, I don't expect I get that kind of. I would get that kind of uh, reception, even if everything worked out right. Uh, Kevin Sorbo and, and he had a big, he had a pretty, I'm sure he had a nice budget and all that sort of thing. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. Very it's well, expensive to do. very well made uh, and very good actors. In that film. He's, good, yeah, great. Kevin Sorbo and his wife are, are wonderful. Yeah. So, 
Yep, yep. Kevin was actually nice enough to correspond with me a little bit. Um, uh, oh, yeah? Yep, yep. They're, I w- they're really nice, yeah. Yeah. I actually was reaching, I said, would you and your wife potentially like to be the mother and the father in this? <laughs> and this was one of my early requests, and he could have just not replied or just said, go away. But he was very nice. He was like saying, you know, we can't really do it, but hey, I, if you're interested, he told me about some films that he was working on and sent, sent me a link. So super nice. Yeah, I, I, I could... Uh, I could definitely see that. So you met him in person. Uh, yeah, I have. I did uh, some uh, uh, stuff at, when I was living in California, actually, with uh, his wife, Sam. Um, yeah, we, we had gone to the Capitol together for Jeez. some rallies. And yeah, I, I used to write for Politichicks. And yeah. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. So, well, awesome. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for what you're doing, and I wish you all the best, and I'll definitely post all the links, so yeah, keep us posted. It's great talking to you. You too. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.